Hello, my friends. Welcome to a beautiful whatever day it is you're listening to this. This is Bonnie Jean Alford, and I am the Identity Guru. Welcome to Life's a Blank. We are in the midst of season two, and this is our fourth episode of the season. And as you saw, it's called Beautiful Today. I'm not beautiful today, just beautiful. Because today's guests on the show uh, and wonderful conversations are all about identity and self-esteem and who we are as people in the world. And I'm really excited to have had these two conversations with dear connections that I have. Anne, who is just coming out with another uh, with her book, uh, which there's information for you to in, in the conversation for you to connect with her. And then a friend of mine who does a lot of the same work I do with storytelling, Randy, who is absolutely phenomenal. And in fact, there's a special treat for you after our conversation from Randy himself. And you'll just have to stay tuned to listen to it. Today's song, though, Beautiful, is a song by a hip-hop group, Animate Objects, that I had the pleasure of meeting several years ago at an event that I was doing photography for. And I and while I was never really into the hip hop rap style of music, and I'm still not really, for some reason, their music really touched me. And I like most of their pieces, including the one today, Beautiful. When I was contemplating this episode, I originally thought about trying to see Christina Aguilera's song, Beautiful. But then I listened to Animate Objects, Beautiful again, and I really felt that because it's outside my wheelhouse and my box of normal music listened to, and I also have permission from the band to play the music without having to go through a whole lot of chains and people and this much simpler this way, I thought that it would be a great way to enhance this episode where we're talking about finding the beauty within, even if we don't literally say that in the conversations. For me, finding the beauty within has been a really difficult process. This year especially has been very difficult for me, as well as last year was difficult for me and 2019. It's been a very difficult couple of years actually. And I am still coming to terms with what I see as my body failing me and not allowing me to have children, which is the number one dream I've had since I was 11 years old. How do you reconcile dealing with a 34-year dream that has been squashed? How do you have a positive mindset? How do you keep going when the only thing you've ever really wanted is gone? Of course, I have to think about how to shift and shape and maybe becoming a mother while it's part of me. It's not in the way I always dreamed it would be. And I have to start seeking solutions to making it happen in another way. And that's okay. I'm working on that. I have a great therapist and I encourage everybody to have a great therapist. There's nothing wrong with going to therapy or working through your issues. In fact, it's a very healthy self-care thing to do. And these conversations actually for me work out that way to be a really special thing. And I really, really feel better and happier 
And I hope you feel better and happier after listening to these conversations. And it doesn't mean that they are all happy-go-lucky, cheerful conversations. As you've heard in some of the previous episodes, some of our conversations are pretty intense. We delve into deep topics. Today's topic about how you see yourself beauty and how you look at yourself and your body image and how you treat other people because of how you feel about yourself and how all that comes together is really at the crust of what beauty really is. And that is actually what the whole point of Life's a Blank is all about. Real conversations with real people looking at real life. I'm very honored to bring to you two wonderful people, Anne and Randy today. I'm not going to come back and introduce anything. I'm just going to let today's episode play through with breaks where they need to be. And I will end with the song, Beautiful by Animate Objects. So stay tuned for the break. And right after, we'll start with Anne. And then a special thing, right after Anne of my reading one of my poems, I Am Not a Zero. And then Randy will be joining me for a conversation after a break. And then a special surprise from Randy, which I talk, we talk about in the conversation. After that surprise, then a song from Animate Objects. Sit back, listen, enjoy, contemplate life. Thanks so much and have a wonderful, wonderful time listening. Yeah. Hello there, my listeners. Welcome back. Today, I'm with a, a dear fellow author of mine, and she, we, we met in a contest where I was a finalist for my memoir uh, essay series, and she was a finalist as well, and we were competing against each other, but we became friends, and we had wonderful conversations, and, and we're going to have one for you today. Uh, so Anne, uh, Anne Poirier, right? Did I pronounce that right? Any way you want. Poirier is kind of the way I grew up. So Poirier. Poirier. Yeah. Poirier. Okay. No, it's really important to me to get your name correct, but I'll just call you Anne most of the time. <laughs> just because that's easier. So tell my, my listeners, uh, those who are out there who are wanting to know what we're going to talk about today what you do for a living and what your book that's coming out later this year is about. And then we'll get on to talking about other stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. I greatly appreciate a, a place where we can have open conversation and just share because everybody has a different perspective. And kind of with that said, that's the company that I founded is called Shaping Perspectives, A Woman's Way to Joy. And it is about looking at things differently because we tend to look at our lives in a certain way. And so that's the company and I work with all kinds of women who struggle with weight and food and eating and body image um, and exercise for that matter and all of the things that society kind of has labeled us to put into a, a particular box. And I kind of go on the other side and say, that's, that's not right, it's not fair and I don't agree with it. So let's have a different conversation. And that's kind of the book basically is the body joyful. And I do have a subtitle, which I did not have when we were, when we were um, competing against each other, which is such a weird thing to say. Um, but it's my journey from self-loathing to self-acceptance. 
Okay. And I stayed, I stayed away from self-love because I think that that's a um, kind of a, a different kind of word for myself and my own journey. Um, I did get to a place of self-acceptance. And I think that that sums it up a little bit better. So it's, it's the story of me not thinking I was good enough, not looking right, looking different, um, and then falling into society's then ideal and diet culture and dieting and eating disorders and body dysmorphia and overexercise and a life of trying to look a certain way um, until I was like, yeah, yeah, it's not working for me anymore. It's not working for me anymore. And I'm done. And just my journey out of that to something better. That I, I want, I like this point that you made about self-love and love in general is so complicated. Um, and it always drives me nuts when people tell me, well, you just need to love yourself. Then you'll lose the weight. Then you'll do this. Then you'll do that. Then you'll fit in better. And it's, it's like, who says I don't love myself? And, and, and how do you define what love is? And, and, and it just always bothered me, you know, because love is the center of who I am. And yet that's not my love is not the problem. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes. And anybody listening to you can tell that, you know? Right, because love is supposed to be, you know, like we, we should have love in the world, not hate. And like everything I try to do is about love. So how do we get, from, get to a point to understand that, you know, you can love yourself, but you can also hate that yourself because you don't fit in the world that you're supposed to conform to? guess it's really about conformity or non-conformity right it's about what you're what you want to hold on to as a belief do you believe or do you want to hold on to the belief that we've been fed that you have to look a certain way and is health actually equal to being in a smaller body does that even does that even it, it may have correlation but not causation right so there's no there's nothing there it's just, this is the way society has labeled um, us to look a certain, like look this way. And then we have all the different technologies now that you can make yourself look any way you want. And that's just misleading. And so the, the bigger picture is this whole, you know, what's, what's our next generation? They're going through the same thing. And so it's just gonna repeat over and over and over again, unless we start changing the conversation and changing the image piece itself, you know? You know, it's interesting you you bring this up because like, I, I, I know I told you I'm, I'm planning to move to Japan. And one of my biggest fears going there is I am a bigger girl. Even at my thinnest, I'm still got a, I still have a frame that is just larger. I mean, it's, I, I, I am one of those people that actually literally has bigger bones. Like there's nothing I can do about it you know, I've had a doctor verify, you know, all of that. And, and it's, it's just who I am. And I, um, I, I have this fear of going to a place and maybe fears is the wrong word, but going to a place where fitness and health and being on the thinner side is rejoiced about. And, you know, it's part of the way of life. You know, you walk everywhere, you, you, I, I don't know the rest of the culture because that's why I'm going there to learn it. <laughs> but 
but but physical fitness is is a something that is very important to and a healthy lifestyle is very important in the in, in Asian culture in general for the most part. Um, from my understanding of it, from where I sit on the outside looking in and in all my studies for 25 years. Um, but how how does someone like who has that that fear, for lack of a better word, how do they circumvent that? And how would you like help somebody, you know, overcome that idea and just trust that it doesn't matter, you know, that that the the inner soul will come through even if the outer shell isn't perfect for the environment or what you think is for the environment. Does, does the question make sense? <laughs> yeah, it, no, it, it completely makes sense. It, it completely makes sense. And it is, it does come from our head, right? It's, it's, it's your assumption that, that people are going to think this way possibly. Is that true? A true statement or no? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to think that way or not, but my brain is because of my experiences in the U S tells me, Oh, I better do this. I better do that. And it's, it's like, you know, I mean, I need to do those things for my health, some of the things for my health anyway, but that's not even the point. The point is this idea, I can't go until I lose X, Y, Z pounds right. for any, right. not because anyone's told me, but because of what I've told myself. That's, ex and you just hit the nail on the head. That's because you've repeated that story to yourself over and over and over and over again, right? And so it's our own assumptions that get in our own way. This is what's going to happen. This is how they're going to think of me. This is what's, this is, uh, this is, I have to do this or else I won't fit in or else I'll be looked at as, and that all comes from our own head. It may be true and it may not be true. And the only way you'll know is if you ask people when you get there, right? I don't know what they're, I don't know really what that cultural piece is around that. You know, we're all, we're all different. So maybe they're more open-minded about that. I don't know, but it's the, it's, it's how do we see ourselves and our bodies and can we look at all the other pieces to who we are versus just our body, which is what we kind of are, what's kind of put on the top of the chart. So I know people like, you know, people are self-conscious about how they look. It doesn't matter if you're bigger, smaller, thinner, fatter, whatever language you want to use. Where, how do you start with people? Like when you, so, so say somebody comes to you and it, do, it doesn't even matter what they look like, but they've determined in their head that they just don't accept who they are. They loathe who they are. They, they can't even imagine anybody could even care about them because of these lies that society has told us for so long. And how do you start with somebody? What do you, what do you do? What's the first step to self-acceptance, so, so to speak? I think it's, it's opening your eyes to what is, why you have those feelings. Why are you thinking that way about yourself? Where did that come from? I call it like seeds. You know, we have these seeds that are planted when we're, when we're young, that um, I'm, I'm chubby, I'm fat, I'm, I'm too tall, I'm lanky, my arms are too long, whatever. I have too many freckles. We get these kind of messages all around us they become our messages and they become who we are. And so we don't even question the fact that I shouldn't have too many freckles or that I should have longer hair or that I should be in a smaller body. We just assume 
that what's around us is true. And we, we take on these beliefs that this is who we are. And then we kind of, I believe we fold into this societal message, which just strengthens, you know, but I use this, the analogy of books and roots and weeding kind of all through the book. And we have these seeds and then society grows roots. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in behaviors that justify all of these things we think about ourselves, which is I should look this way. I should do this. So it's kind of equatable to how we grow racism in America mm. or anywhere in the world for that matter. Because Agreed. when you think about racism, you think about, well, and first, most people don't understand racism versus discrimination. That's a whole different discussion. But racism is the conceptual idea of maltreatment as well as the maltreatment. It includes both aspects of attitude and, and um, behavior. Um, so at the root, though, you, it's rooted in this idea of people are different. And if they're different, they're bad. And you have to, do, you have to hate what's different and bad. So you hate people that look different from you or hate people from a different country or who speak a different language or any number of aspects about them. Um, this is just about what the body looks like or doesn't look like. Um, so it's, it's, it's race, essentially racism for the body, for sizes right. or, or, or bodyism. Is that you know, it's yeah. Well, we like I think about it as weight stigmatization, right? It's, yes. It is, and, and that's exactly what it is, and weight bias, you know. And, and that's that's what, what, you know, I'm trying to fight because you can't, you don't know anybody's story, you don't know what, you know. We all are are supposed to be different, right? <laughs> like, uh, are how, who said that we're all supposed to have the same size body? Like, where did that, where did that come from? within this realm of, of a continuum. Oh, you gotta be in here. You know, you can be on the little lower side or the little higher side, but, but that's all that's okay. Yeah. There, there's a chapter in my book where I talk about a doctor I went to at 16. And I think, I don't know if I've told you this story, but I was 16 years old and I weighed on the nose. Well, I won't tell you how much I weighed. That, that's, that, that's part of the story. That's the revelation. Right. right. Go no into the story. I go into the doctor's office. It was my high school, senior year physical. I'd moved from California to Illinois. Um, I was actually very happy in what I looked like, even though I was a bigger, always a bigger girl. You know, I was the tall girl, bigger, you know, larger structure, all of that. I, I had friends. I was, it, it did great. But this moment changed everything. The doctor comes in and looks at me and was, had all this concern in his face. And he's like, you, honey, honey, you, you just need to gain some weight. Does your mother feed you your skin and bones? And he, he had this concern over, over himself, over how much I needed to put on a few pounds because I didn't look healthy. I looked emaciated in his mind. Not two seconds later, he looks down at my chart, sees my weight, looks up at me and says, oh, honey, actually you need to lose weight. 200 pounds is too much for any 16 year old to weigh because I weighed 200 pounds. You, you need to lose at least 20 to 30 pounds to be healthy. And, and I'm sitting there going, 
wait a second. You literally just told me I needed to gain weight to be healthy. And now you're telling me I need to lose weight? Which is it? Like I, I completely was lost and I spent the next probably 10 years of my life struggling to figure out if I needed to lose weight or not and, and crying a lot because I didn't know what I was supposed to look like. And finally, I found a doctor who ran a bunch of measurements and did x-rays and I don't even know all the stuff she did. And she told me what I need, what I needed to weigh in my frame to be the most healthy. And if I had a few pounds on top of that, it wouldn't be a big deal. Um, and that's for health, not for aesthetics, not for any of that, but for my body for health. And it made me start thinking about how we are so focused on the surface that we forget about things that are unhealthy and, and the rampant dieting to, you know, yo-yo dieting that makes people physically sick that they can't actually get healthy because they're depriving their bodies of what, of nutrients. Of what they need. Right. Yeah, and, exactly. And, yeah. And now I'm talking too much. I want you to talk. <laughs> no, no, but you're, but you're, that's, that's it in a nutshell. You know, my doctor's office visit was at 11 years old. And the doctor, I got weighed and um, I was on the edge of the, the high number of the scale, you know, the chart that the doctors had. And my, the doctor went over to my mom and said, you better watch what she eats. I knew from that minute, you know, and I think about it as doctor approved. Yes, I'm fat. Doctor approved. Now I know that I need to lose weight. And that spun me into, you know, three years of anorexia nervosa. So it was, it was, it was who I was. And then it was, oh, gain weight, gain weight, gain weight. So I, that's what, what I'm doing now. You know, I think about my past really has, has paved my way for my purpose to say, right. this is all wrong. We shouldn't be judging our kids on, on a scale, the BMI and all the different, you know, a weight or a BMI measurement and, and all of that stuff, you know? I call it the, the BMI is the bullshit meter, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> can I swear? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny because like, no matter what I do, my BMI is always going to show me as, as overweight and obese, no matter what, because even at my healthiest weight, it's 50 pounds more than what the government says I should weigh. And it's like, I, I, and people go, you really should listen to BMI. It's a really easy figure. And I go, you know what they did? They took the chart of old and they took the number of your height and the number of the thing and then just back and assigned it a number on the scale. It's, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's an average men, woman, you know, big bone, little bone. It doesn't matter. All people, big group, big group. Let's take an average and say, this is, this is healthy and this is not healthy. And I don't know if you know this fact, which, which when I learned it, I was like, what are we doing? In 1998, overnight, and I, I want to say it's the, the dairy industry was part of this funding on this. They shifted all the BMI numbers down. So if you were overweight on Tuesday, on Wednesday, you were now obese. So everyone woke up the day after they changed the BMI one, one step higher or, you know what I mean? Like heavier than when they went to bed because of funding saying that this is, this is supposedly healthy. And now we have proof that that was 
the absolutely wrong way to go. It should have actually gone the other way. Isn't that interesting, right? I, I didn't know that. That's I, I want to look more into this. This is fascinating. Tell me more. Tell me. More. <laughs> Tell us all well, more. All... <laughs> we we, we want to fight this. <laughs> uh, the greatest, it's a um, it's um Lind, Lindo Bacon, but she has a great um, she wrote the book Health at Every Size and Body Respect. So when I decided that I was I had enough of this kind of lifestyle, I went back to school. For eating disorders. And one of the very first books I got was this health at every size, hugely impactful for me because there were so many studies in there that I'm like, what are we doing? What is this society doing? Why are we so nuts and crazy about trying to get people to look a certain way when all these studies are saying it doesn't work. It's going to increase, it's going to increase people's weight. Number one, if we keep dieting, you ever notice how I get on a roll, I get all excited that um <laughs> that um are uh if you think about where dieting got more and more popular and where people's weights went as dieting got more and more popular they they go together they're on this trajectory mm -hmm. together so why are we still dieting why are people still restricting and depriving because they end up heavier in the mm -hmm. long run and so how can we say wait a minute that's not the answer. Let's, let's dial back and, and see what we can do, what can help us feel healthier in our bodies and feel good in our bodies so we can do what we want to do with our lives. You know, I like, I, I, I'm a recovered, recovered overeater. I don't, I won't say I'm healed. There are times when I still turn to food as my comfort because it's the only thing I can control for real is what I put in my body. Um, but I will say that I have never been one of those people that denies my cravings. Like I've learned to find healthier versions of it. And I don't like, I don't eat synthetic versions of most things. You know, very rarely do I eat anything synthetic because that's not good for my autoimmune disorder. But in general, like I figured out, I, I was never one to diet. I mean, I do believe that, you know, when you need to lose weight, you should lose weight, but there's a healthier way to do it. Cutting calories is really the only way, but enjoying the food you want to enjoy. And it drives me nuts. These people I know that have these cheat days and it's like, why are you instituting a cheat day? That's implying that you're doing something wrong by eating something you enjoy. You know, it, yeah. So one day maybe you eat too many calories and you, you go over calories and you gain you know, you, or even whether you gain or not, but you, you know, so the next day you get up and start again and just eat healthy and live your life. And it's, you'll be better in the long run. And I just, having done it, you know, I lost 150 pounds previously and then I gained it all back, but that's, <laughs> that's because I found out I had the autoimmune disorder. And then we had this, I don't know, this pandemic thing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, the interesting thing too is there are so many more factors that um, that go into weight mm -hmm. that people don't realize. You know, the old model, and this is kind of what I teach, right? The old model of um, calories in and, and calories out, or you know what I mean? Eat, eat less, move more is really not correct. When we look at stress, the impact of stress, and hormones and our mental health, right? Right. Uh, our medications, 
um, the different types of food, all of the different things that we're, we're doing to our bodies in other ways, some that we have control over and others that we don't. And how do we take control of the things that we know we have control, we have control over, and how do we, the things that are out of our control, the external, I call them external stressors, like a global pandemic, how do we take that and then try to get, um, find our own ways of dealing with the stress? If this is happening out there, yes, a piece of chocolate cake will work. The whole cake might not be helpful, but a piece of chocolate cake might feel, make you feel um, a lot better. So might um, a hot shower. So might, uh, I don't know, taking a nap. So might, right? There's lots right. of different things that can help listening to music. We have lots of different ways. And so what is it that we can, we can, can take control over when we are feeling out of control? And food, food is going to do it because it puts us into our parasympathetic nervous system. It says rest, digest, relax, everything is okay. You're, you know, that it, it mm -hmm. does it. So yeah. why wouldn't we eat? And I tell that to all my clients, why wouldn't you eat? Cause it works. And I, I agree completely with you. I, you know, I, you know, while I do utilize the calories in and calorie out, that's a base. That's the base start. That's not mm -hmm. all of it for me. And I mean, when I lost the weight the first time, that was most of it for me. And it worked because I, my body, my mind was in a different phase of life. I was younger. I, you know, losing the weight was a little easier. And, you know, sometimes I wonder if, you know, going in, I was vegetarian at the time, going and becoming a meat eater again, maybe that caught, like, there's this part of me that actually thinks I want to be vegetarian again, even though I'm not supposed to have soy and wheat because of the autoimmune disorder. Um, but I knew I had the autoimmune disorder then too. I just didn't know it. So like, there's this part of me that wants to go back to that lifestyle. I had, you know, I, I ate fish. I, I was a pecto-lacto vegetarian, ovo-vegetarian. So I ate dairy, mm -hmm. I ate fish, and, and I ate um, eggs. I'm <laughs> like, what's the other? <laughs> and I and I love that lifestyle, and I really loved tofu. Of course, now that I've been eating meat again, I do enjoy eating meat. So it's it's this tough decision now that was that part of the culprit? Was that that type of food not as good for my body type? was, is it stress? Stress is really bad for Hashimoto's. Like the more you're stressed, the more weight you put on. So I have to figure out how to get rid of stress. And when you've got financial stress, when you've got abandonment situations, because you're forced in isolation. I mean, this isn't just me. This is millions of people across the country. You know, like you, I ballooned up 60 pounds literally in a month and a half yeah. of the stress of this isolation of the last year. And right. I was like, wait a minute, this isn't good. Something's got to change. And, and, and I'm trying to work on the stress, but it's not easy. So I don't know what my point was. <laughs> no, but you're right. You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. And that's it, it. I, you know, I look at it from a stress point. Let's, let's, let's start there and, and go from there first. Cause if we can, if we can live our lives a little bit more, we're never going to get rid of all of our stress. It, it, it's part of, it's part of life we'll have ups and downs, we'll have stressors. And with that said, how do we live our lives a little bit more in this relaxed state, you know, and it sounds so simple and beautiful and, but it's very, very difficult to try to take time for ourselves to do that. And what does that look like? 
because I should be doing this or I should be doing that. And that's our, that's our culture, you know, go, go, go more, 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 faster, 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 make more money, get another job, do this, do that. Right. And so how do we step back from that and say, wait a minute, what's, what's going to work for me? Nobody else, but for me. And how do I want to live the next five, 10, 15 years? Because if I start something today, if I go on a plan, my brain's going to come off a plan at some point. So how can I say, these are, these are my non-negotiables. Like they, these, these mm-hmm. are things that I really want to keep eating my whole life until I might not eventually, but right, right now I do. So chocolate chip cookies, they're in my diet because that is, you know, mm-hmm. when I say diet, that's just the foods I eat. Right. Right. Exactly. So, and then, and then how can I make sure that I'm not, when I get stressed to be aware of it, I am, I, I need to like step outside, take a few breaths and calm down and then, or I'll take a walk or I'll go listen to some music. Right. I have a whole list like my little, you know, list of things that can just bring me back down so that I'm not living in this high stress space. Cause I know it's not good for, it's that for me is not good for my health, right? Mentally and physically and weight wise for <laughs> all of it, all of it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny, this use of the word diet. I've actually got to the point where I don't refer to how you eat as a diet any longer. I call it as, you know, eating and life food. Mm, I love it. I love it. (laughs) Because it's like this diet has such a connotation in our world, negativity. And, you know, I I mean, I made conscious choices. I cut everything with corn syrups and high fructose corn syrup, any synthetic sugars completely out of my diet. So I don't eat, you know, even if it's like the brown rice syrup, I don't eat any of that, you know, purposefully. Occasionally I'm out somewhere and I accidentally get it, but you know, that's that you can't control all factors when you choose to eat out. But I made a conscious choice to say, okay, our bodies aren't meant to process these synthetic sugars. So I eat all natural sugars, but I'll eat, I'll eat cookies. If I feel like I want to eat as many cookies as I want. I mean, I try to only eat like a couple, Uh, but the, the point is like, it, it's exactly right. It's a lifestyle thing. I, I did that more than 10 years ago that I made that choice. It was, it was an arbitrary random cha- choice. When I looked at a, I was looking at Sierra Miss Natural and how it only had um, three ingredients or four ingredients. And it was, you know, real sugar. And I was looking at something else that it, to have the synthetic um sugars, the corn syrup, it had like 500 ingredients. And I'm looking at it going, why don't I just never eat corn syrup again? And this was a December and it was December of 2010. Awesome. Unbelievable. Right. And I, so, and my, my ex now ex-husband, he looked at me and said, you can't do that. That's ridiculous. And of course then I was like, well, I'll show you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, man I need him to tell me things are ridiculous again so I can show him (laughs) you know to prove him wrong all the time (laughs) I made it easier (laughs) it's so true isn't it though (laughs) don't don't tell me right what to do eat what to not eat because we're just that's part of this whole game as well but the key that you said is choice you made a choice Mm -hmm. I am choosing this 
Right. And as I go forward, I, I, I'm in a state of flux. And a lot of people, a lot of our oh. of people listening right now are in a state of flux, not sure what to do, not sure how to make the decisions about what they should eat. They're being told conflicting information. They're being told, oh, you should be vegetarian. Oh, you shouldn't be vegetarian. Oh, you shouldn't do this. Oh, you should do this. Oh, you have to cut out all, all, uh, uh, what is that diet? Like, well, it used to be the Atkins diet. Now it's the keto diet. They just changed yep. the name. <laughs> Uh, but it's the same basic thing where you cut out all carbs and, and then people go into these ketosis attacks where their, their bodies are shutting down and they don't understand why it's because you've not balanced the food that's going into you. You need carbs, you need those things. And it's, it's just, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. How can, what is the solution to redefining all this? I mean, obviously your book is a good start. <laughs> Yes, because I do. I, I kind of lay out just everything that I did, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. And that's kind of because I think it, it helps when you know that someone's been in those places, you know, and feeling the same, the feeling similar ways. We all have different, you know, journeys, but there are similar feelings of, mm-hmm. of self-loathing, self-loathing and not feeling good about yourself and feeling like you don't fit in or all of that, you know, that all of those, all those pieces. And the starting place is, I, I think about it as stepping back and, and taking a different look at ourselves, right? What, why am I here? And what foods do actually feel good in my body? What foods do I actually like? You know, so it's this relearning how to eat, relearning how our bodies feel with movement and getting outside and the things that we've been told you must do, you should do. Well, I was just gonna say, screw you. I'm gonna do what feels good for me. What's, what's, what's best for my body. And what's best for my body isn't gonna be the best for your body. And that's, that's the journey that, mm-hmm. that I take. I think I take readers on is let's ask some different questions. Let's be curious and not, and, and release the shame and the judgment and just be curious about why we do some of the things we do and does it, how does it feel? Let's take some notes, gather some data. And then (laughs) from there, we can make some different choices or we can make the same choices, right? Whatever, but it's more about let's listen and tune into the body because it's knows best. Usually Mm -hmm. our bodies mine and yours and all of ours. So how can all people do well on this diet, right? And all people do well on this diet when really we all have a different way of eating that's going to work for us. And it's finding that it's going to work for you. Trust. I think that we need to add the idea of finding yourself, finding trust in yourself. You know, it's not yes. the loathing and the acceptance, the, anti, the the stopping the low loathing and finding the acceptance, but also trusting yourself that you know ultimately what's best for you. As while you take in all the information that's coming at us, you have to trust that you're going to do what's best for you and tune out everybody else ultimately. Absolutely, absolutely, and I and I and I flip that both ways. I think that we need to. And I don't I even, I don't even like the word need. You're invited, right? You're invited and you have permission 
to tune into yourself and trust yourself. And with that said, I believe we need to be patient with our bodies to learn to trust us because our bodies might not trust us. We might not, our bodies might not trust our choices because they don't know what's going on. This is the way you've always done it and things are different now. So wait a minute. So they, ha they have to go through an adjustment period of time too. So it works both ways. Trust our bodies and let our bodies learn to trust us again too. Wow, well, we're, we're, we're sadly running out of time and these are some really amazing food for thought or none. <laughs> Depends on how you look at it. So can you tell the, our listeners where they can find you and when your book is coming out so they can look for it? Sure, The Body Joyful, uh, my journey from self-loathing to self-acceptance, gonna put it all in there now, um, is due out on October 5th. So very excited. It is actually sandwiched between Weight Stigmatization Week and um, although I'm not crazy about the term love, that's for another time, but um, the, and Love Your Body Week. So it's kind of popping out in between those two national organizations that are working on, on this, you know, this topic. And I have a new community called the Body Joyful Revolution. It's a private community on Facebook where people can join and they can ask to join. And it's talking about all of this and it's an open, different conversation. So that's free. Uh, lots of resources and great stuff in there. And then my website is shapingperspectives.com. Um, and you can find all kinds of information there as well. So there you go. Well, Anne, I thank you greatly for being here and participating. And I think I'd like to, at some point after the book is out, have you back for another conversation. And at that point, hopefully I'll read the whole book. Um, so I got to go. <laughs> um, stay tuned. Uh, we're going to take a break and we'll be back in a moment. And thank you for listening. I Am Not a Zero by Bonnie Jean Alford. Curves of splendor my frame does carry in a society held fast to unrealistic ideals of unnatural beauty. A world focused on thinner, flatter, zero, sees me as absolute nothing. I am not a zero. I do not equate to nothing. I am only me. Society needs to change their perception. Society needs to alter its reality. Society needs to accept my difference. My worth is not simple. It goes beyond that which is seen. My heart and soul constantly give in a world that exists to quantify me. I am not a number. I do not exist in a box. I am simply difference. Uniqueness society does shame. Happiness society desires to control. Change society fights indeed. Myself is unique. I am not a zero, not in frame or inner being, and never will I be. Society's unhealthy message of false beauty falls upon deaf ears, for my being knows no limit. My existence, once trapped, is simply free, free from the voices serving as captor denying life, liberty, and my happiness simply because I am not their version of a righteous zero. And yet they say I am nothing. I choose to be more than nothing. It is a simple reality, a reality I create in a complex world that really isn't complicated. Being who I am is ever important. 
Being the best me I can be stands as my truth in a world hell-bent on blind conformity and lies. I will not exist in someone else's box. I will not be shamed into belief. I will not abandon me. No message of unrealistic beauty gonna take my game. I am not a zero. I do not wish to be. I am simply and without question me. Dojo-kun character books are fun fictional children's picture books with the right amount of weirdness and character building. And the can-do karate kid Makoto brings laziness and procrastination with him everywhere. That is, until he realizes these monsters are ruining his life. This book helps kids learn to defeat laziness and procrastination by using karate power. And the two true karate kids, friends Makoto and Michi, both want a dog. When one of them cannot have a dog, the dishonesty monster pushes them apart. This book helps children fight dishonesty and value honesty. And the follow-through karate kids, Makoto and Michi, dream of painting a mural at their dojo. But every time the kids move toward their goal, the quitting monster attacks. This book helps kids learn to use hard work and perseverance to achieve goals. Learn more at jennifertolgogger.com or order at Amazon, barnesandnoble.com or at bookstores. Welcome back, my friends. I am so excited today to be sitting across the Zoom from my friend, Randy Ford, not to be mistaken with Al Ford, because you know, there is a similarity, but I don't think we're related, even though my ancestors are from the South and so are his. We met recently in a networking organization and we became fast friends because a lot of what we do in our work is the same. He works for First Story Strategies and he is a storyteller like me, yay! Hey. Welcome, Randy. Uh, anything else you want to tell our listeners today about yourself that you think is super duper important? Well, I think it's super duper important to say thank you for having me. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the podcast and of you. So, um, but no, that's it. And if anybody wants to know more about, about the work that I do, they can go to firststorystrategies.com. Uh, but beyond that, I'm, I'm excited to, to get into a conversation. Yay, yay, yay. So what is one thing about storytelling that you love? Why do you do or why do you do it? Let's start there. I'm curious. I do it because, well, here's the thing. I will, uh, I was a theater kid, right? So I loved theater and I loved doing community theater. In high school, my local community theater had a really good junior theater program where they did four shows a year that was, you know, most of the cast were kids. Um, and this was what people brought field trips to and stuff like that. And I loved it. And I was in it for four years. I was usually cast in three of the shows. The fourth show was always a musical and I can't sing or dance. So I would work crew on that. And um, I got to college and I was a speech theater minor. And I um, realized right away, I was like, I was the 17 year old kid who had been doing junior theater and that this like these theater people were for serious like this was a different thing and I was like I don't think this is for me so to fulfill my minor I maxed out on all of the speech uh, courses and there were some great storytelling courses and as soon as I took the first storytelling course I reconnected with all of this um, culture that I'd grown up with I was fortunate enough um, 
most of the ways it's fortunate that I grew up in uh, the, the foothills of the Smokies in East Tennessee. And there's just this strong um, mountain folk uh, story culture there that just is incredible. And we used to have like the best world renowned storytellers come to our elementary school and our local library. And as soon as I started getting into this in college, I like all of that flooded back and, and I just felt this connection to stories, all, all stories. Um, and then I kind of have weaved that into my work over the years as a reporter and then working in politics and then working as a communication strategist, doing PR, all of that has a component to story of storytelling to it. When I decided to start my own business, I was like, what do I really love? And I, again, flashed back to sitting on that story rug in the library and in kindergarten and hearing people talk about stories. And I thought, I, I want to do this. I want to find ways to use story to help people and nonprofits and small businesses find their voice and share what they're doing in the world. I love it. That's so beautiful. And yeah. I love storytelling too. Like I, ever since I was a little girl, all I could ever do is, is spin stories. I don't know if I told you, I have almost 150 titles in my queue to write at some point in my life. Wow. That's, a, you got to get going. We got to wrap this up because you got a lot of writing to do. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and, and I always joke that if I could just find a benefactor who would pay for my, my bill, all my bills for six months, I would whip them out so fast. But like, because I have so much you know, we have obligations, like you, you can't, so you got to work your 40 hours and then you're done with your 40 hours. And it's like, yeah, I got to write about those characters. I love those characters. Yeah. I, I have, <laughs> I, I have a great novel in my mind that, you know, and a lot of people do that. I just have never gotten to because I spend so much time writing for other people, which I love to do and which pays the bills. Um, thankfully, but um, I just have never gotten to do my own writing or I haven't been able to prioritize it. For example, you know, I just told everybody my, my web address. And if you went there, you would see a, a newsletter sign-up form. Um, and it's been there for almost five years and I've never sent a newsletter. So um, I've sent lots of newsletters for organizations I work for, for people who need help with newsletters, but I haven't written one of my own, so. I have helped probably 200 authors and, and companies over the years writing their books, their stories, their whatever. And mine is sitting on my shelf, mostly done, ready to go out there. And I just, I have two that are almost done and one an agency been waiting for. And I'm just like, I just gotta finish it. And then I, I sit down to finish it. I realize I have more to finish and I need one more day, one more day which I think now finally it is just one more day. I just haven't had the one more day. <laughs> well, then let's revise what you said earlier. You just need a benefactor to pay for one day and then you can be finished. So anyone out there want to be a benefactor? Anyone? <laughs> Any listeners? Any? There's a support button down below. Oh, anyway, seriously, though, um, I, you know, I can totally help you write your, your book. Like I can help you get it out of there. We will. We'll talk after this. We'll. We'll set up some time because I everybody should write their book, whether it's a novel, yeah. whether it's a nonfiction. I'm a firm believer of that. Um, yeah, I believe the stories are everything. Like you know, whether they're true stories or 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 fiction stories, it doesn't matter. Stories just 
they shape us. They shape mm -hmm. who we are, you know, our, yeah. They're also the, you know, the, the longest, the, the oldest form of communication are stories and storytelling is, you know, the cave drawings were not bullet points or a, a PowerPoint deck. The, those cave drawings were stories mm -hmm. and that's how we passed along community. That's how we passed information along and processed it even before there was language. And that's how we do it as kids. So um, it's, it's incredibly important that we understand that, that we know how to use that in our daily lives and that we're passing them along. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, I, I teach, you know, I teach sociology and yeah. I, I do it, you know, with a focus in identity, but really it's the fundamentals of culture. And I always tell my students that they need to uh, be open to understanding other cultures and how, where people are from and because they have all unique stories and their, 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 their society's histories are so vast and rich. And I somehow got to thinking that I kind of stopped, I kind of stopped um, going and finding information about other cultures. I don't know what stopped me. I don't know what put a dent in, in my travels and my, my exploring other cultures, but I've been missing that the last couple of years, like really badly or really muchly. I don't know. I don't know which word I want to use, but um, yeah, a lot. Yeah. Let's just say a lot. A lot. Yes. <laughs> Well, and, and some of that was, um, you know, may or may not have been pandemic related, but definitely the time period that you're talking about is that. But I, one thing that I think both you and I have taken advantage of, and I know a lot of other people have, is the pandemic opportunity to meet people in other cultures and meet people, I mean, around the world, near and far. I mean, I've made new friends as close as Ohio. I've made new friends in the Chicago area I wouldn't have known otherwise. And then now I'm working with some people in Australia. Um, I've, it's been a lifelong goal to go to Australia. I never imagined that I would be picking up a client in Australia. And, um, but it's one of the, the cool things about, I mean, I hate to say the cool things about COVID-19, but uh, my friend, Jeff Jones, who's an amazing life and abundance coach, talks about how this is the first time in generations where the entire world has faced the exact same challenge at the exact same time, looking for the exact same solution, and that we just have been in a complete pause. Um, and I think that that's a collective experience that we may still be too close to it, but when we look back, we're going to realize that that's a collective story full of individual stories that really are an important part of history. And, and at the time, it just felt like, oh, man, I can't go to Target without a mask. Uh, but we have been part of something so much bigger than that that I think is tied to world culture. So I would say you've still been exploring it just by oh. being yourself and staying alive and healthy. Well, yeah, I mean, but I, I would actually beg to differ a little bit in what he said, because there have been time periods where everyone in the world was facing the same issue, seeking the same solution, but they didn't know the others were because we didn't have the technology to connect instantly. So sure. this is the first time in history that we knowingly are dealing with the same issue and can actually communicate on a immediate basis about it with people from all over the world because yeah no that's a, that's a great point that's yeah great and point. and i think i think that's you know that's that's actually one of the things i study in my in my uh field is is mass trauma events and collective trauma and and 
things like, um, you know, the Spanish flu, the Holocaust, the Black Plague, you know, war in general, and then the media presentations of them and how, you know, the dystopian futures of, of the world falling apart and, and, of course, zombie movies. I can't get enough zombie movies. <laughs> I don't think in real, I don't think we'd ever actually have real zombies, though. It kind of makes me sad because I'm really prepared for them. It kind of makes you sad that we're not going to have zombies take <laughs> over. And okay, just a, well, just a little bit because I I know how to fight them. You know, well, I'm really sorry for your loss that you're not going <laughs> to have the opportunity to put that into practice. <laughs> well, you do know what what zombies are actually allegory for, right? Well, uh, I don't, you know, I've never gotten into the zombie culture or, or actually even watched any zombie shows, even like the big ones. So, oh, no. Okay, excuse me, the, the conversation, no, no, it doesn't have to be over. We're, we're going to have to work on that. I'll, I'll, I'll introduce you to a subtle one first. Okay, subtle. Yeah, I, I can't do much. I, I can't get into the fantasy stuff that much. And maybe it's because I'm like, feel rooted in like real stories or, I don't know. Um, as fantasy or sci-fi as I can get is Harry Potter, and I love the Harry Potter series, but um, that's as much as I can go into that kind of thing. And even then, like I'm also not an action movie or action show person, and even then there'll be like long Quidditch scenes, and I'm like bored. I don't want to. Let's move on. Like let's get back to the part where somebody cries for some reason, uh, emotional, you know, that's more my kind of yeah. um, entertainment. See, I'm like, get me the, give me the battle. Get me the fighting get <laughs> versus evil. Get me, give me the killing the zombies. You know, you take that yeah. brain. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I've just never seen a zombie thing. I've never seen a fast or a furious, um, or anything like that. <laughs> well, so. I, um, I will actually, I, the movie, I was telling, we before we started recording, I was telling you about my friend who was also on, um, it will be episode three once it finally airs, or it will have been episode three once this finally airs. Anyway, however that works itself out. She, um, the, the first movie that she had a lead in was uh, the first movie I had an extra role in. Um, and that's how we met. And I was playing, I played first a victim, my, my ankle got eaten. And then later I was a zombie, um, though I was, I was not the same person that lost the ankle as I was as a zombie because I had my ankle as a zombie. So, <laughs> uh, so that was a zombie film, but it, it's, it's comedic. And, it's, and it's, I think you might actually enjoy it because even though there's a little action, it's not, it, it's, 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 it's spoofy kind of, you know, slaps. Yeah. I can handle that and I love that. And talk about playing dual roles. If I go back to my children's theater days, the first show that I was cast in, um, I played both Christopher Columbus and a Native American. And if people look at me, they see neither. Um, but yeah, I you are, you, are, you are not an indigenous person and you are not a killer of indigenous people. <sighs> exactly, I fall, yeah, I, 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 I don't can't. even fall in the middle. It's it's a completely different category. And I, uh, I'm wondering if I should explain what you look like to our listeners. <laughs> um, it, if you picture Ziggy, that's a good- um, I don't a, know who Ziggy is. Ziggy, the uh, the comic strip, the little short guy, it's always raining on him and stuff like that. No, nah, never mind. Yeah, but maybe some of you know who Ziggy is? Yeah, if, if anybody knows who Ziggy is, picture that and that's me. <clears throat> okay, I'm now have I'm now going to have to go look up Ziggy. You know this. 
Not at the <laughs> yeah. Maybe it might take a week, but I'm going to have to figure out who Ziggy is because <laughs> you know, got to get down with Ziggy. I also get um, Kelsey Grammer sometimes, so I think it's I the hairline. I can see the Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interestingly enough, you say that my best friend. I always, when I look at him or try to describe him, I always say he looks like Frazier because people know who Frazier is over Kelsey Grammer. Right. But I'm looking at you going, yeah, like I can see similarities with him. It's just now, now I'm never going to not see that. <laughs> yeah. Well, he and I can team up and do some kind of, I don't know, some, some kind of parent trap uh, movie or something where we play twins. We play brothers. Yeah, brothers. It wouldn't be twins. You're not that close. You don't. Okay. You know, his right. Hairline is different from yours. Okay. He has hair is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Even though it's audio, that's fine. I I, I can take that. <laughs> no, I, I mean reality is reality. Real real truth is truth, no matter what you have to say about it. Yeah. Yep. For I'm real. losing some hair too. My hairline, I just noticed, was back a little bit. I'm like, oh, I'm too much stress. <laughs> you guys, listeners, I hope you know women can lose their hair too. There is female pattern baldness. It is a real thing. It is something that exists and happens to, I would throw out some statistics, but they would be wrong. So I'm not even going to try, uh, but go look it up. It is a real thing and it does impact a, a substantial amount of the population. I'm not talking like one, 2%. I'm talking more than, more than that. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, True. And yeah, and there's really no solution to baldness. That's what's sad about it. Like they have these, all these things, you can get hair plugs and you can rub lotions on your head and use a special shampoo. And I'm like, I'm gonna spend 50 bucks on a special shampoo that I have to use for four years before we might see a result. No. Maybe, yeah, exactly. Maybe see a result. Um, yeah, I, I accepted pretty early on. I was like, I'm just, I'm gonna embrace this. And so did, so did my brother, he actually shaves all the way down every day. Um, I just keep it a short buzz, but I accepted early on. I used to have this coworker completely inappropriately. She was much older than me. Um, and she would always say, oh, I just love seeing your head. It is a solar panel for a sex machine. And I was like, okay, all right. It's great to see you too. Can we just talk about this uh, work thing? Um, <laughs> no, she, she was great. I, I miss working with her, but you know, I could never imagine saying that to somebody in a workplace. Well, I'll say two things. As someone who's usually mostly attracted to, to gentlemen with no hair on their head, um, you wear it well. Thanks. Thanks. So interestingly, my most recent attraction has longer hair than me. Oh, well, that's all right, too. It is a man. I'm not, yeah. I'm not into the females, but it's just a, a culture thing. It's, it's, it's just, he has long hair. I mean, it's very, very, okay, we don't need to go there. Never mind. <laughs> People's interest in hair. Are all going, go, is, go there, go there. <laughs> uh, romance. I think it's dead. You know, I am a... Um, I'm okay with that. I, I, it is something that I have come around to realizing lately that I am okay with, not with romance being dead in general because I want other people to feel happiness, but I, I am 
just happily single, I've decided. And I keep coming across that Whoopi Goldberg quote where she's talking about marriage and why she is single now. And she's like, I, I don't want somebody in my house. And I feel like I can relate to that. I'm, um, I, I'm happily single. I, I didn't expect to, to take the conversation there, but <laughs> neither did I. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's something that I just decided. Um, this is just who I am. So that's the fun thing about these conversations. They go wherever they decide to go. Yeah. I, however, feel the opposite. I would like somebody else in my home. That's all I'll say. That's understandable. And, and, and I think that's, that, that makes sense. A, a lot of people are, are like that and, and d- deserve that if that's what they want. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and you know, these last, the last year and a half, I've realized how much I really don't want to be single and be alone. I don't necessarily want to be necessarily get married again. I don't necessarily need to have a piece of paper to tell me that I'm, you know, I have love. But I, I have no, I, I, I want a partner. I want a partner in life to, you know, help with the recycling and the trash and rub my feet when I'm feeling like whatever and will let me rub their feet. Yeah. You know, that's all I'm talking about is feet, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do, I do. And I don't want a life, you know, where I'm, I, I don't want to be the, the old guy from Up, um, which is a movie I've seen and love, by the way. Um, I've but, heard of it and I know who you're talking about this time. <laughs> okay, but you've never seen Up? I have not seen Up. Okay, you send me something zombie-ish. I will ask you to watch Up and then we'll reconnect. It's a deal. So folks, okay. you heard it here. We made a deal. He's going to watch one zombie movie and I'm going to watch one Up. Dang nabbit, why? Why did I agree to this? It's a good one, but I do tell you, you have to be in a good emotional state for it because it's it's an emotional movie for a Pixar film. Um, it's it's pretty intense, but it's one of my favorite movies. So I have heard that. So I, I'm going to, I will check tonight to see when I can get it free. And if it's on Amazon Prime or if I have to watch it on Disney Plus, which... I have access to in my office TV, but not my living room TV. If I want to get Disney Plus on my living room TV, I have to order, I have to have them send me new equipment. And I'm like, oh, right. "Uh, No. So, but in my office, it works just fine. And my friend loaned me his account so I can watch Mandalorian, which I did. I've watched the first three episodes and it's not all it was cracked up to be. Yeah, that's another world that I've never gotten into is is the Star Wars stuff. So yeah, well, I, I was very disappointed in that. I, I I'm a huge Star Wars. Like I would pretend I was Princess Leia with the hair as yeah, always. Um, and I just I was like, oh, all the talk about the Mandalorian, and so I finally got access to Disney Plus, and I watched it and went, it was good. Yeah, it wasn't like wow like ever you know um yeah and baby yoda is cute baby yoda is cute um i heard amy sedaris is in it i love amy sedaris and i heard she was good um but not enough for me to to uh get myself all the way into the star wars universe so to speak 
I'm, I'm trying to remember who Amy Sedaris is and what role women had in it so far. Now I'll watch for that too. See, okay. Amy Sedaris. Okay, and, and up. Oh, man, this feels like school, this, this conversation. Wow. No, it's actually, I, I'm loving this conversation. I'm so sad yeah. we have a few, we only have like five more minutes. Yeah, yeah. Getting close to that, that time already. So let's go back to theater and film. I mean, have you thought about getting back into that kind of work again? I really get my fix on that from doing storytelling performances. So um, Chicago has a very supportive and active storytelling performance community. And um, I've been pretty fortunate to do, you know, go, go to open mics, do lots of classes and workshops, um, but then in some curated produced shows as well. Um, there's a um, great LGBT-focused storytelling-based church uh, here in Chicago called Gilead Chicago, which is amazing. Um, and it's just the, the storytelling performance scene here is really great, and that's kind of how I get um, get that, that theater bug, that performance uh, bug at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would love to. If I were back in my hometown in Tennessee, I, I would love to audition for one of the, the main stage plays at the Oak Ridge Playhouse, which was such an important part of, of my, um, my high school experience. Mm. Yeah, I, um, I want to hear you read a story. Okay. So would you be open now? I'm asking you this on something that's going to air. So you got some pressure. Would you be open to reading a short, you know, 10 minute, some short story that you like a lot to, for our, for our listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, I feel like that's a bigger ask than just asking you to watch Up, which is a critically acclaimed mass loved movie anyway. Um, but yeah, I'd be happy to do it, especially anything we have clearance on. Uh, that that has nothing to do with. <laughs> okay, okay. That. It's, it's not um, a tit for tat. Okay, I got it. Yeah. No, I, no, I, this is, this is, this is actually what I'd love you to read is the first chapter of Charlotte's Web. Oh, that and I there's have, I have an ulterior motive for that. Yeah. Because I don't know if you are aware, but I'm launching hopefully this year a not for profit as well as my publishing company. Um, and the the not for profit is inspired by Charlotte's Web to the point that I'm naming it Some Pig Enterprises. Oh, nice. I love yes, it. Yes, and, and people who are who who get it get it, and people who don't, they don't. Uh, <laughs> That was a big one for me in growing up as well. You know, I mentioned that we would have those storytellers. I also was Miss um, Jackson's pet. Uh, I was the teacher's pet of our elementary school library. And um, so I was a library assistant for from like third grade through sixth grade and just have like all of these connections to those. Like it's, it's such important literature that you read at the time you know at the time you think there's no greater literature than where the red fern grows or charlotte's web or these books like you know what is who is dickens like that's not important to me this is like this is the best thing there ever the great gatsby what are you talking about uh the little prince is the is the the ultimate book and i still love the little prince and and read or listen to it about once a year 
Yeah. Well, I, I just, you know, I just, just thinking that like for, for the, it would be so phenomenal to have someone like you who has this amazing voice to read the first chapter or two of Charlotte's Web, you know, cause then we're not violating any copyright rules cause you can do a certain percentage of a book and still be okay. And you know, all of that. Um, sure. Whereas a children's book, we might have, you know, we can read it, but you know, eh, I don't want to get into all those weeds. Yeah. So, but Charlotte's Web would be so fun because it's a book about love and it's a book about identity and it's a book about, you know, not name calling and not bullying and finding the beauty within what everybody sees as bacon. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. And I, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. And now either way, I'm inspired to revisit the, that book. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I'd be happy to to read it if you think that that would turn out well. I think it will turn out excellent. And in fact, we can even put it on this same episode right after the break. They can come back and hear you read it and then we'll go to another break and then what else What else will be in the episode. Um, but I think that'll be a phenomenal thing. All right. Well, stay tuned for that. Yeah. So now you have two homeworks. <laughs> <laughs> I have to pick a zombie film that's fun and not too gory and too action-y for you. And this. And and you I know you'll get me back. You'll have something for me to do, I'm sure, sure, for that for that reading. I, I will, yeah, I'll I'll hold on to that card and uh play it at some point. <laughs> Zombie for up. I think that's a fair change. Now I'm I'm worried. I someone has a marker on me now. <laughs> I, I don't I've never had someone holding a marker out for a favor. Yes. I, I, I'll be responsible and nice. I feel like the mob now. Okay, I don't even know how to do that. I don't, I, that's one thing I could never get into those mob movies. I'm not a mob movie person either. I've Ever? never seen a Godfather and I've never admitted that out loud either because. Uh, okay, you want the biggest, deepest, darkest secret? Bring it. I taught organized crime. Love teaching organized crime. Studying it from a real life perspective is phenomenal, right? But I also like to use media to present aspects. And there are other mob films that I have watched and enjoyed. But I wanted to let my students pick the film. So they picked The Godfather. I'm like, great, I have to watch The Godfather. I had never watched The Godfather. I sat down to watch it, fell asleep. In the first 10 minutes, fell asleep. And then I, I, I tried to watch it three more. And I'm like, so I went the entire semester having not watched the godfather <laughs> oh my god as as the instructor who you know you know you have students who go and try to skate by without ever cracking open the text and then you didn't do what they wanted to do which was a movie right. well but i mean i did go and read articles and you read the you read the basically the clips notes version yeah. of the movie the godfather but i could not bring myself to watch it i like I tried so hard to watch this movie and I just couldn't. And I, I, I said, okay, going forward, when I do uh, allow the students to pick a movie for a class, I will put limits on and say, except for this one. <laughs> and I think between the two of us, we've now talked for about half an hour and probably alienated all of your listeners, one of us has, collectively we have, because oh. we have just taken several unpopular takes, including against the Godfather and against Star Wars. So well, I, I am a Star Wars and a Trekker. So 
Okay. I am one of the rare breeds that builds a bridge between both of those. So I am one of the rare breeds who cares about neither. So yeah. So um, yeah, that's and and you know what? We haven't alienated anybody because the premise of this whole show is to recognize that everyone's opinion is awesome, just different. And if you like The Godfather, don't tell my students I didn't watch it. <laughs> no, I don't care. They might be listening to this and they'll go, now I understand. Uh, but speaking of that, it is about time because I have a hard stop today. I would love to keep talking to you though. You're so fun. So we'll, I'll have to have you back on the show again. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, this so is a lot it, of fun. Yeah, so we'll have we'll have to do this again. So stay tuned, folks. He's going to come back. Randy will be back on Life's a Blank. And he is going to record a, a chapter or two of Charlotte's Web. So he's got a, he's got his homework to send to me in the next couple of days so I can add that in and get this aired. Yay! Yeah. I'm so excited. So is Yeah, everybody stay tuned right after this is <laughs> apparently chapter one of Charlotte's Web. Yeah, 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 so excited. Um, so anything else you'd like to say to our listeners today? No, thanks for thanks for having me. And thanks to everybody who listens and supports your podcast, which is amazing. I'm, I, I want it to be this amazing thing that really captures culture. I have some pretty big ideas for this season or season three. It depends on how it all falls. But on that yeah. note, if you want to check out Randy and his business, go to firststorystrategies.com. You can find him there. Contact him. He's pretty down to earth. He's he's not going to ignore your emails unless you say bad things in it. And then we all <laughs> ignore those emails. <laughs> well, he's got a funny face. <laughs> On that note, thanks for listening. Thanks for being you. And come back after the break for that special storytelling. Charlotte's Web by E.B. White, read for you by Randy Ford. Chapter 1. Before Breakfast Where's Papa going with that axe? said Fern to her mother as they were setting the table for breakfast. Out to the hog house, replied Mrs. Arable. Some pigs were born last night. I don't see why he needs an axe, continued Fern, who was only eight. Well, said her mother, one of the pigs is a runt. It's very small and weak, and it will never amount to anything. So your father has decided to do away with it. Do away with it, shrieked Fern. You mean kill it just because it's smaller than the others? Mrs. Arable put a pitcher of cream on the table. Don't yell, Fern, she said. Your father is right. The pig would probably die anyway. Fern pushed a chair out of the way and ran outdoors. The grass was wet and the earth smelled of springtime. Fern's sneakers were sopping by the time she caught up with her father. Please don't kill it, she sobbed. It's unfair. Mr. Arable stopped walking. Fern, he said gently, you will have to learn to control yourself. Control myself, yelled Fern. This is a matter of life and death, and you talk about controlling myself. Tears ran down her cheeks, and she took hold of the axe and tried to pull it out of her father's hand. Fern, said Mr. Arable, I know more about raising a litter of pigs than you do. A weakling makes trouble. Now run along. 
But it's unfair, cried Fern. The pig couldn't help being born small, could it? If I had been very small at birth, would you have killed me? Mr. Arable smiled. Certainly not, he said, looking down at his daughter with love. But this is different. A little girl is one thing. A little runty pig is another. I see no difference, replied Fern, still hanging on to the axe. This is the most terrible case of injustice I ever heard of. A queer look came over John Arable's face. He seemed almost ready to cry himself. All right, he said. You go back to the house and I will bring the runt when I come in. I'll let you start it on a bottle like a baby. Then you'll see what trouble a pig can be. When Mr. Arable returned to the house half an hour later, he carried a carton under his arm. Fern was upstairs changing her sneakers. The kitchen table was set for breakfast and the room smelled of coffee, bacon, damp plaster, and wood smoke from the stove. Put it on her chair, said Mrs. Arable. Mr. Arable set the carton down at Fern's place. Then he walked to the sink and washed his hands and dried them on the roller towel. Fern came slowly down the stairs. Her eyes were red from crying. As she approached her chair, the carton wobbled, and there was a scratching noise. Fern looked at her father. Then she lifted the lid of the carton. There, inside, looking up at her, was the newborn pig. It was a white one. The morning light shone through its ears, turning them pink. He's yours, said Mr. Arable. Saved from an untimely death, and made the good Lord forgive me for this foolishness. Fern couldn't take her eyes off the tiny pig. Oh, she whispered, oh, look at him. He's absolutely perfect. She closed the carton carefully. First she kissed her father, then she kissed her mother, then she opened the lid again, lifted the pig out, and held it against her cheek. At this moment, her brother Avery came into the room. Avery was ten. He was heavily armed, an air rifle in one hand, a wooden dagger in the other. What's that? he demanded. What's Fern got? She's got a guest for breakfast, said Mrs. Arable. Wash your hands and face, Avery. Let's see it, said Avery, setting his gun down. You call that miserable thing a pig? That's a fine specimen of a pig. It's no bigger than a white rat. Wash up and eat your breakfast, Avery, said his mother. The school bus will be along in half an hour. Can I have a pig too, Pop? asked Avery. No, I only distribute pigs to early risers, said Mr. Arable. Fern was up at daylight trying to rid the world of injustice. As a result, she now has a pig. A small one, to be sure, but nevertheless a pig. It just shows what can happen if a person gets out of bed promptly. Let's eat. But Fern couldn't eat until her pig had had a drink of milk. Mrs. Arable found a baby's nursing bottle and a rubber nipple. She poured warm milk into the bottle, fitted the nipple over the top, and handed it to Fern. Give him his breakfast, she said. A minute later, Fern was seated on the floor in the corner of the kitchen with her infant between her knees, teaching it to suck from the bottle. The pig, although tiny, 
had a good appetite and caught on quickly. The school bus honked from the road. Run, commanded Mrs. Arable, taking the pig away from Fern and slipping a donut into her hand. Avery grabbed his gun and another donut. The children ran out to the road and climbed into the bus. Fern took no notice of the others in the bus. She just sat and stared out of the window, thinking what a blissful world it was and how lucky she was to have entire charge of a pig. By the time the bus reached school, Fern had named her pet, selecting the most beautiful name she could think of. Its name is Wilbur, she whispered to herself. She was still thinking about the pig when the teacher said, Fern, what is the capital of Pennsylvania? Wilbur, replied Fern dreamily. The pupils giggled. Fern blushed. When the sun get hotter, I float like lava Looking for a place to go But anything that I touch seem to turn to ash Rest on the mountains of today, looking down at the past Same shit, different day, like I'm digging a ditch Throwing soil on my back to build a house for the rich But I can't stop, won't stop, it's all that I got What about that beautiful spot? Yeah, I miss it a lot I try to bury it deep down inside of my heart But when I think about it, can it start to tear me apart? So speak easy Try to sip a brew to appease me But morning time to evening This feeling just won't leave me You got someone you love to let them know that you care Cause one day you look up and they won't be there And that's the truth What? That's the truth Her touch was a beautiful gift Underneath her beautiful rift A brush of her beautiful lips The shift of her beautiful hips A stare at her beautiful face I'm taken to a beautiful place Then after a beautiful chase 